folks, it's Matt here. I'm joined by David. Say hello, David. Hello, David. And we just wanted to take a moment before the show starts, before the usual intro, to talk about this year's charity drive and the second annual Wheelie Big Quiz. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's a tradition now. We've done it twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've done things a little bit differently. This year, uh, we've selected two charities apiece, and from those, we have selected one we drew at random to support this year. David, do you want to be the one to announce the winning charity? Um, yeah, I can do. Um, do I, I want to preface it by saying um, we didn't. Uh, I this was one that I suggested, and I didn't suggest it purely for the. The apt name, but um, we we've gone with uh, Doctors Without Borders. Uh-huh. Now, I think hopefully most of our listeners are already familiar with what they do. But um, you know, speaking as 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 British people, we we are rightly proud of having one of the best healthcare systems. Uh, in the developed world, you know, free at point of use. Um, and we're also lucky enough not to live in a, an active war zone. Um, not everybody has those kinds of luxuries. Um, so whilst I am by no means saying that our healthcare system is perfect, um, I, I think... Us in developed countries kind of owe it to, to others to try and help level the playing field a little bit, and Doctors Without Borders is one of the ways in which that happens. Um, so, I, I I don't know that I really need to say much more than that. It's it, you know it it's providing uh, vital medical care in some of the uh, most challenging places in the world, and. Um, I have nothing but admiration for everyone who who gets involved with their activities. And, you know, from our comparatively extremely comfortable position, the least we can do is to uh, chip in and try and support their endeavours. So that's what we're going to be doing this year. Yep. So probably by the time you are listening to this episode, there'll be the usual just giving link and everything on all our socials. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are two weeks away from the beginning of the Wheelie Big Quiz, but we just felt it was important to put it out there that people were aware and perhaps wanted to educate themselves on our chosen charity. Fantastic. Um, so without further ado, shall we uh, get stuck in <laughs> to an hour and a half or so of absolute nonsense? Yeah. Some of which, if you're lucky, might be related to Doctor Who. David? Hit the music. Hello, and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and this week, I'm, I'm sorry, I've lost it because I'm, I'm I'm off my game. I'm off my game. Matt. Oh, it was, it was me. It was me last week. 
yeah. Oh, you know what? I can't be bothered to retake it. Let's just go with that. Hi, everyone. <laughs> it's been a long week for me. Well, I'll talk more about that in due course. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, we're talking about the Ghost Monument this week. We it's are. exciting. The second episode of the Jodie Whittaker era. Um, I'm very excited to uh, see what you made of it, Matt. Uh, but before we get there, um, where do you want to begin? How how how's your week been, Matt? Uh, this week, it's been okay. Um, it it's just been work. It's just been work. Mm. You know, work and come home, fall asleep, go back to work. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I'm going to be talking more about the week I've had work-wise um, in a bit. I mean, tell you what, seeing as we're on the subject, uh, well, you know what, first things first, I've got to get this out of the way, Matt. Get a shift on, as the married to who folks like to say. I've got, I've got in my hand a lovely bottle of black sheep ale. Ooh. See, uh, I, I've been impatient. I didn't even wait till we were recording. I've got a four pack of Innocent Gun Lager beer. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. It's, it's going to be I one mean, of those nights. It's a it Friday is, night, David. It is. It's a Friday evening. We've both had very long uh, weeks at work. Um, so, yeah, I started a new job this week, Matt. How's it been? I, th- I think that's what the listeners are tuning in for this week. Oh, yeah, they want to know all the details about all of the new um, acronyms I've had to learn. Uh, I discovered a new uh, uh, spreadsheet formula, which I've never used before. So exciting, that's exciting. Mm, yeah, <laughs> really, uh, really um, intense stuff. It's not that, like, God formula from Doctor Who. Was that in School Reunion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, imagine. Yeah. That would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's such a high stakes uh, concept for such a low stakes episode. Yeah, I love it. Um, anyway, um, no, it, it 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 it's been good. It's been good, but it's been very intense, and um, I've got a bit more of a commute than I than I used to. I'm working from home part of the time, and I'm but I'm also having to go go into York and living in quite a remote area. That's not without its challenges. Um, so I think we're just going to roll straight into what I'd like to who this week, Matt, because it's all about uh, my uh, first day in my new job. Okay. So three options for you, Matt. On, my fir- on the morning of my first day in my new job, did I A, that's my dog, this is going well, isn't it? <laughs> what can you see outside, Mossy? It's just someone putting their bins out, Moss. It's a pretty common occurrence. Yeah, they've gone back inside now, haven't they? Is that okay? Okay that they popped a bin bag in their wheelie bin? Yeah. Uh, right, okay. Let's try that again. So... The options are, A, I missed the train that I was supposed to catch and as a result arrived about 20 minutes late uh-huh. on the morning of my first day. Um, or option B, I arrived on time, but because it was a 
large uh, organisation. Is it? For, it's a university campus. Um, I, I I couldn't find the building that I was supposed to be working in because the, the interview had been done remotely, so it was my first time actually setting foot um, in the place. And so I just sort of wandered around aimlessly for about 20 minutes until uh, eventually they rang me to check that I was coming in and I had to sheepishly admit that I couldn't <laughs> find them. Uh, or was it C, that I did turn up, on managed to get there on time, uh, but then found out that I was actually supposed to be working from home that day? I mean, I mean, B certainly the most on brand. <laughs> um, right, let's start with A. Why? Mm-hmm. Why were you late for the train? So, the tra- there's, there's um, the train I wanted to get was a was a seven fifty nine to York, uh, but I missed it by a whisker. And ended up getting the 803. You might think four minutes difference. Surely that can't make that much of a difference. But then I have to get a connecting bus from the railway station. Uh And uh, as a result of missing the earlier train, I then missed the bus. And it was uh, best part of 20 minutes for the next bus to turn up. And did you ring ahead to explain this likeness? No, because I was far too petrified to do that. Uh, see, if you'd have said yes, I might have bought that, but I, I think you're a good enough soul that you would have had the manners to ring ahead. Mm. I, I'm dismissing A. Okay. Dismissed. Right. Um, C, you should have been working from home. Yeah. How did you overlook that point? I just got my... I, 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 I you know, in, in... They'd sent a calendar through and... You know what it's like on the first day. You're, you're juggling so many things in your brain. I just, it was meant to be that I came in uh, on on the Tuesday, but and you know they were just going to kind of like ease me in working from home on the Monday. That that was the plan. But then I just kind of got them jumbled in my head. Uh-huh. So yeah. No. Ah, since you since you've said it, B's been the one that sticks out in my mind. I I think. Ah. Well, certainly I respect you enough to believe that you would have been really quite organised and arrived on time. And I, I think the stumbling block is the campus is that big because my, my brother went to the University of York. I've been to that university campus many a time. Mm. I, I think you arrived and got lost. I think we're going to go with B. Matt, the correct answer is A. A. I missed, I missed the, the train I was supposed to be catching. <laughs> and you didn't ring ahead? I didn't, because I was like, it'll be fine. I won't, because in my head, I was looking at the timetable, it was like, it gets there for like, um, you know, just before nine, and that'll be fine. But actually, I didn't factor in the amount of walking it was going to take from the, the bus stop to actually get to the building that was supposed to be at. And it was a good 15 minutes walking. I, I, I would have rung you and just told you not to bother coming in anymore. <laughs> right. It's been lovely meeting you, David, but uh, I don't think this is going to work out. I think we need to look elsewhere. Uh, um, to be fair, it, it was, you know, it was it was up, uphill from there. You know, I... I what, what I lack in... Um, 
in uh, those kinds of skills I, I made up for in uh, in spreadsheets. So they they haven't given you like a a cool office nickname like you know late Larry. No, they haven't. Thankfully. Same. I'd have probably bought you a watch and put it on your desk for the second day. <laughs> Maybe a child's book on how to read a clock. Yeah. I'm glad I don't work in an office with you, Matt. Uh, do you know what? Punctuality <laughs> is the one thing I can't abide. All right, then. Um, so there you go. Um, do, you, do you want some big news, though, David? Yeah. That I'd means you are 15 to 14 ahead Going into the last week of Would I Lie to Who for the year. I need a win. The best I can do is draw. Well, do do we do a tiebreaker situation? That could be something, couldn't it? Yes. I mean, we might have to edit this out. Um, What if we asked Jake from Married to Who to write us a tiebreaker? Oh. Oh. We could. Yeah. Right. If it could... Uh, I can't remember where we got to before we edited and had an off-air conversation. But mm-hmm. in the instance of a tie, we aim to ask... Hopefully he's listening to this and it's not like a, a big surprise. We <laughs> aim to ask our friend Jake from the Married to Who podcast to give us a number of scenarios, much in the vein of would I like to who, and a champion shall be crowned. I think we've got to, haven't we? We can't end on a draw if that's what it comes to. I don't know. Imagine if someone started listening to our pod from the beginning. And they're like, oh, I really like this Would I Lie to Who. I can't wait to reach the conclusion. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, we, we've agreed to uh, part as friends. <laughs> settle on a draw. Yeah, no, that's not how we do that. this. Um... Right. What 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 can be the prize for the winner? If you win, David, how mm-hmm. how about this? Okay, because what is it today? So next weekend we'll be recording mm-hmm. the last, and we'll be playing D and D together. Yeah. So it'll be probably the D and D session after that. Okay. The loser buys the winner the nicest beer they can think of. Deal. Okay, should we put a maximum price on that? Because I don't want you to buy me some, you know, absolutely mental <laughs> bottle and I feel guilty <laughs> drinking it. Yeah, no, it'll be the nicest one that I can find on the high street. Okay, so there we go. And I'll probably order an inflatable crown from Amazon. <laughs> Isn't it good that we plan all this so far in advance? Yeah, we are the world's most organised podcast. I, sure. Imagine if someone thought this was, like, scripted. <laughs> they, you'd surely very much worry for the the mental well-being of whoever was scripting it. Yeah. Like, Imagine if people thought we were some sort of parody and we'd, like, cleverly... You know, like, is it Welcome to Night Vale or Night View, whatever it's called? Yeah, yeah. Where it totally subverts what a podcast is. Imagine if people listen to this thinking that's what we do. <laughs> We're just a parody of, like, oh, guys, imagine the worst Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> yeah, imagine being that bad. <laughs> like, 
Like, it, it, it's no joke to say that the uh, the catchphrase of our podcast is, oh, I'll probably just edit that out. Never happens. <laughs> About four times an episode, it's just like, oh, can you make sure you edit that out, please? Uh, great times. Okay, um, let's talk about uh, Meal of the Week, shall we? Yep. That so, beloved segment of our podcast. <laughs> yep. Don't forget, we'll talk about Doctor Who in a bit. Yeah, in a bit. I mean, how far are we in right now? About 20 minutes, so... Yeah, you've probably got another 20, 25 minutes to go yet, listeners. But... Do, do we start just dropping Doctor Who, like, in? Like, oh, David, do you know what's bad? Them Daleks. Anyway, this week, my meal of the week. <laughs> nah, people would see through that. Okay, but uh, all right then. Tell me, Matt. Tell me about what you've been eating. Right, so I literally can't remember what I've been eating this week. Um, like I say, it's been a bit of a haze getting back mm-hmm. up to speed with work and usually just coming home and absolutely just crashing. Um so I'm going to nominate what I had for my tea tonight, which was we roasted a chicken and I'd put some chips in the oven. Can I just check? It was a dead chicken, wasn't it? Yes, David. Okay. I don't know. People cook lobsters whilst they're still alive. Yeah, but they deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that punishment for the great human lobster war? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I, 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 that one passed me by, if it, if it is. I'm, oh, sorry, one moment. I'm just going to have to let this dog out. I don't know what his problem is. Oh. What's that, my dog? Right, okay. So, um, I can't even remember what we were discussing. So, yeah. So, I roasted a chicken mm-hmm. and cooked some chips. Now, I had a bit of a problem because I roasted the chicken in our oven... And didn't think there was room for the chips, so I cooked them in our top oven that we never really use. Right. And I didn't realise that the bottom of the top oven was some baking tray that must have been in there a while. It was absolutely filthy. Uh, So Mm. set off the smoke alarms. And, you know, I'm I'm 36 next month. I've lived in houses where the smoke alarms have gone off. And everyone knows you just push the button and it turns it off. I don't think I've ever successfully done that. And I just, <laughs> I just run around the house, like, just like, and I push the button, why is it still beeping? And I had to open all the windows and the big back door to, like, ventilate mm-hmm. the house. So all the neighbours knew I was, like, having a nightmare. And you flap a tea towel at it. That's what I always end up doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I cooked a chicken, cooked some chips, and I just had, I just had the breast off the chicken, but I mm-hmm. smothered it in Frank's hot sauce and specifically Frank's hot sauce for wings and oh my god that is the divine ambrosia Mm -hmm. just to be clear this isn't our listener Frank no 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 No. I mean I I didn't know he owned a brand of popular hot sauce I mean who's to say yeah maybe that can be his new nickname (laughs) you know like we've got the curator We've got Good James. Now it's Hot Sauce Frank. Well, you know, we'll uh, run it up the flagpole, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Probably forget by next week and you'll just be back <laughs> to good old Frank. Good, well. So, what about you? What about your 
male is awake. Mm. As tempting as it is to nominate uh, this bottle of black sheep, um, just having a cheeky swig. Um, yeah. If you say glass of water <laughs> again, right, and you win, uh, would I lie to him? You're just getting a nice big bottle of Evian. And I go, oh, it's so refreshing. <laughs> no, it's not a glass of water this week. I think it has if to be. If it's two glasses of water, I'll be twice <laughs> as mad. <laughs> um, no, it's a soppy one. Uh, so I get off the train after my first day in a new job, um, expecting my partner and uh, Little Absorbaloff to be sat in the car waiting to pick me up in the car park. Instead, they are stood there on the platform, Little Absorbaloff brandishing a box of Cadbury's Heroes. Oh. Which he then proceeded to uh, pester me for for most of the journey <laughs> back to the house. But, uh, yeah, I mean, one, Cadbury's Heroes are great. Two... It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's a daunting thing starting a new job. And it was nice to feel appreciated. Yeah. Um, and it came with a hug. And everything's better when it comes with a hug. So, yeah, I can't, I can't not nominate that, can I, really? So, when, when you had these chocolates, mm-hmm. were you secretly disappointed it wasn't a delicious Nopper's Nut Bar? <laughs> Um, I mean, it would have been lovely if I'd opened it up and it was just uh, just a pile of Nopper's Nut Bars in there, of course. That's what we all really dream about. But um, I made do. I made do. Uh, when my wife's been doing the big shop this week, I was like, oh, if they've got any of those uh, those nut bars playing dumb, pretending I don't know what a Nopper's is, <laughs> seeing if I can trick her into buying some. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, yeah, uh, that, that kind of does it for uh, Mean of the Week, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, what haven't we done yet, Matt? We haven't talked about telly much. No. You been watching anything? Um, in, in what little free time I've had this week, on YouTube, mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of reruns of Shooting Stars. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Just either compilation bits or full episodes, but oh my word. How it, I laughed. I mean, we're both big Vic and Bob fans. Mm. And um yeah, that sh- that show is just so eff- it, I mean, I say it effortlessly. It seems effortless, but the amount of actual thought that they put into it behind the scenes to, to produce something so gloriously ramshackle mm. is is delightful. Again, um, that's what people think of us. <laughs> oh, they, they must plan it to be that bad. Yeah. <laughs> if only. If only. Um, yeah. I, I haven't really watched much of anything at all this week. I've been a bit preoccupied. Um, I've, I've managed... I'm behind, still behind on Marvel. Nothing new there. Um, I squeezed in one episode of Sapphire and Steel one evening. Um, and one evening when Little Absorbaloff 
just there was no chance that he was going to sleep at his normal bedtime. He was just bouncing off the walls. Um, so we ended up doing family film night, which is something that occasionally happens, and we checked out Vivo on Netflix. Okay. Are you familiar with it? Uh, I don't think so. Mm. It's I'm going to give recent, it a googs. Recent animated not. film uh, with songs and starring the voice of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, one of his. Yeah. Now, you waxed lyrical about Hamilton. Yeah, I love it. And I was distinctly unimpressed. Um, the songs are the best thing about Vivo. Oh, really? Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah, the story itself is fairly generic and it has a, a completely pointless bit with a giant snake. The only thing in its favour being that the giant snake is played by Michael Rooker. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's completely okay as a kid's film. Uh, but the songs are really quite good. Wow. Um, for, especially coming as someone who, who really would never listen to, to most of that kind of music um, of my own free will. Well, I'm just texting friend of the pod, Dr. Tim Riley, because mm. for the last month or two, he's been urging me to watch, is it called In the Heights? Which is a Lin-Manuel Miranda song and dance film. Ah. And so I, I didn't know if he was aware of Vivo. Um, so, In fact, I, I haven't mentioned it, have I? About my little road trip last week to Warhol. Oh, no, you haven't. Yeah, I mean, I'm aware of it from uh, real-life conversations, but... Uh, um, yeah. A little bit disappointing. Was it? Yeah. Oh, dear. The, the actual exhibit was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the that was just Dr. Tim texting me back saying, sounds great, I'll check it out. Uh, so they had huge dioramas, and that bit was excellent. And it took a couple of hours to get round. But because I didn't take any models to play with myself, it's just a big games workshop shop. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I, I assumed you were you were you were having a match or two whilst you were there. No, like it it was weird because there was surprisingly little about it on the internet, like on TripAdvisor and what have you. Right. And I just thought, oh, people just haven't gone that much. But it turns out there's not that much to do once you're there if you're not <laughs> playing. So if yeah. I was going again, like we've kind of agreed if we go again, we'll make a bit of an effort and what have you. Uh, but one of my friends, uh, I think I've mentioned him on pod before, t- Big James, yeah. l- lost his mind and bought a limited edition model only available from Warhammer World. And he refused to tell us how much he spent, but I've mm-hmm. subsequently found out and it's a lot of money, David. <laughs> That's the power of FOMO though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But to think, Matt, you, you missed... You missed uh, what was nearly a, a a second session TPK. I know. I was hoping I could return the conquering hero, and everyone yeah. was dead. No, I mean your character spent most of the uh, most of the uh, session cocooned in uh, in a giant spider's uh, web. Oh, lovely. So. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd recommend Warhammer World. One of the best bits is uh, the restaurant there is made out like a full dwarven tavern. Oh, very nice. Um, and there's some pretty, pretty cool stuff on the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, they had some of the swords that had actually featured in Lord of the Rings. That was pretty cool to see. Nice. Uh, and there is a massive diorama. So it's the biggest Warhammer diorama. And I would estimate it's about 10 foot by 20 foot. And easily 15 foot tall with buildings and what have you. Massive battlescape. And the, it's a bit like Where's Wally. They put one assassin model on that diorama every day. And if you find it, you get to keep the miniature. Oh, nice. So they change its location, but there's quite literally thousands of models on this diorama. And we gave it a good look. We were, you know, up and down, and we pretty much decided, oh, we'll we'll go for lunch and maybe come back. Mm. And no word of a lie, we probably spent best part of half an hour looking at this model. And then when you got to the end, there was a poster saying, oh, because of COVID, we need to keep traffic in this area moving. There is no assassin model today. <laughs> uh, maybe worth putting at both ends. Yeah. Yeah. It was. But, yeah, some of the, some of the dioramas was amazing. Mm. And, and we got to see the mythical. It's called... So there's an army in Warhammer called the Tau. Uh, it's mm. what our friend Roy plays as. Um, and they have the largest playable game piece in Warhammer. And it measures, I think it's something like 80 centimetres squared. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, it costs you the best part of £2,000. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit of a white whale, if you ever see one. And mm-hmm. we got to see one painted in the flesh. That was pretty Amazing. exciting. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If I gave any shits about Warhammer, I'd feel jealous. Well, you know, if you were a good friend, you wouldn't say things like that, would you? How many times have I just nodded along when you've been going, I've been listening to some prog rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You know, different horses for different courses, mate. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm happy for you. I'm genuinely happy for you, Matt. But it's it's just that it's harder for me to engage... When I I know so little about Warhammer other than the fact that you know, it's it's people make their little models fight. Uh, do you want to estimate how much I spent on my disappointing day out? I dread to think. I mean, are we including train tickets and the like? Uh, so we car shared. So I drove half oh, okay. the way to one of my friend's house, and he drove the rest of the way. So we're just we're just thinking in terms of what you actually spent whilst you were there. Yeah. From the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, how much do you mm. think I spent? Well, quite a lot's going to go on, on food for the day, isn't it? Yeah. Um, did, did you buy any miniatures whilst you were there? Uh, I bought... You don't have to say how many or what, but... I just... bought two individual miniatures and then a box of, like, a unit of miniatures. Hmm. And that stuff is pricey. I don't really know exactly how much it is, but I know it is pricey. So I'm going to say... Yeah, maybe over 100 quid. £145. Mm -hmm. On a disappointing day out. (laughs) (laughs) 
But it's never disappointing when you're with friends. Well, there is that. Um, still though, Matt, you missed an amazing session of D and D, and you should you should feel disappointed. You made the wrong choice. There's always uh, next time. <laughs> My biggest regret is uh, during lockdown. It was one of our friend Andy's fiftieth birthday, and I bought him. A nice present, but then he didn't go one week and I didn't go the next, so I've just got it in my house. <laughs> is it? Uh, is it within after twenty eight days it legally becomes mine and I can just keep it? Is that is that a rule? I think that's it with the police, isn't it? If you hand in a ten pound note, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, maybe then, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm not, I'm not doing a very good job of steering the ship today, am I? I'm so knackered. Um, do you want to talk about Doctor Who? Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, so, uh, we're talking about the Ghost Monument this week. Did we get much of a response from our listeners? Uh, we did, but before we get there, David, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about one listener in particular. Okay. Okay. So today I was having a little back and forth, a little chat on Twitter with our listener Marie, who's, you know, a fairly regular contributor. Yep. She's my go-to listener when it comes to food suggestions and menus and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And she mentioned in conversation today that she hasn't been having the best of times recently. Ah, sorry Uh, to hear that. You know... Been feeling pretty down. So I thought, what can we do, David, to put this right? What can we do to help? Mm-hmm. Can you hear that noise, David? It's the door of the Martin McLean Hall of Fame. I'd like to induct <laughs> Marie as the second inductee. To the Marty McLean Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm I'm delighted. A well deserved uh, uh, entrant there. Yeah, in a title that means literally nothing, <laughs> you can join us. It's a place few people see. Mm-hmm. The Marty McLean Hall of Fame. Uh, congratulations. If nothing else, I hope that cheers you up, makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, nothing else on this podcast. <laughs> no, it's it's. I, I I feel like it's been especially especially sloppy so far. Yeah. This evening. What what I would say is, if Marie, you're listening and you're dissatisfied with that, let me know, and next time I see David, I'll try my hardest to pinch the glasses off his face, and that <laughs> that might make you feel a bit better. Imagine like a. A pesky... It'd be like that... What's that duck game? Goose game? It'd be like that. I'll be a pesky goose trying to <laughs> knock David's glasses off. Yeah, that, that, that would get wearisome very quickly. Yeah. I get that, enough of that from little Zorbs. Without yeah. you getting getting in on that action. Yeah. Um, so, like I say, like Marie's a good egg. You know? Yeah. Whenever I've needed, like... I basically just ask her, do, they, do you have this food in America? Um, <laughs> and, you know, she's always very helpful. So, like I say, second inductee. 
Congratulations. Who, who do you think will be the third to David? Mm. Can I be the third? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> then we've got a podium. <laughs> right? I want it yeah. to be like, have you watched the end of Loki now, David? No. All oh, right, I can't spoil it. Uh, I mean, you can do if you really want to. But... There's a seating arrangement at the end of Loki. Mm-hmm. People who've seen it will know what I mean. Where um, some people are sat in chairs, and that's how I see this. I won't spoil it for you, David. Okay, all right. Okay. So, David, welcome to the Marty McLean Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you. Uh, do you want to do a little acceptance speech? No. just want to talk about Doctor Who, Matt. Okay. That's all, I've, that's all I ever want to do. I know. And all I ever want to do is to derail it, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, just just do a quick fashion report, David. What are you wearing right now? What's your look? I am wearing a uh, T-shirt with the phases of the moon on it and some tartan pyjamas. Oh, nice. What about you? Uh, I've gone for, like... Just nondescript shorts. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on pod, but I'm wearing the football shirt of my beloved York City Football Club. I don't know if yeah. I've ever mentioned that I, I follow York City on pod. I mean, I don't know why you would, because they're not a notable team, are they? No, but I, I just want... Imagine if, like... Say the guys from Married to Who start following York City and we get, like, international, like, ultras. That would be good. You know, we could be responsible for growing their fan base. Mm. Well, uh, I think, we, you know, if we got all of the Married to Who gang on, that would practically double it. How dare you? <laughs> um, what what colours your wallpaper? Um, uh, it's not wallpaper. It's it's um, it's rented accommodation, so it's just a painted magnolia. Like oh, nice! Ev- every room in our house. I'm just trying to divert the conversation from Doctor mm. Who, but last time I did that, we we, we got meal of the week. So I might ask <laughs> I might ask you every week, like, what colour is your wallpaper? It's not going to change for a goodly while. <laughs> And listeners, if you want to send in the colour of your wallpapers, we are timenorspacepod at gmail.com. Give us, give us some tweets, Matt. Come on. What do yeah. people rec- uh, uh, think of the ghost monument? Right. Okay. Okay. Let's see what folks have to say. Uh, just let me scroll down. Just let me scroll down. Uh, did you know it's the 30 an- 30th anniversary today of Bottom first being broadcast? I did not. Confession time, Matt. If you say you've I've... never watched Bottom, I'm stopping the recording now, so you may as well just tell me what colour your carpet is. Beige. Well done. We've diverted ourselves away from a crisis there. Right. <laughs> I really should, though, because I love the young ones. I just, I've just never got round to it. Okay, okay. Right, first message comes from James Swift. And I'm not going to read this whole chain out because it basically turns into James Swift and James Courtney admitting how much they love one another. <laughs> and 
want to start a podcast called, I don't know, James and James Take Over the World. Mm. But what was really helpful, David, was they kept copying us into every message. So my phone was just going off constantly when I was at work. <laughs> That's definitely what you want. You know, kept thinking there was some sort of crisis, someone at work ringing me. But no, it was just James and James, the James gang. Right. <laughs> so James says, it's a good follow-up, but I th- just think it's a little bland. I like the ending. However, I really cannot stand the weird zooming on people's faces. It's not directly bad, not directed badly, just weird. Mm-hmm. That's that's fair. It is. It is definitely has a distinct directorial style. This episode. Then we have a message from Jake from the Marry to Who podcast, Judge, Jury, and Executioner. When it comes to Would I Lie to Who? Mm-hmm. Who says, as becomes common in this series, the most interesting part of the story, the race, is the least important to the plot. It looks great, and the guest actors do well. This episode is the biggest culprit of the explaining the action in the dialogue problem that this series has. Mm. So a little tease there for the sort of things you might be looking forward to over the next few weeks, Matt. Yeah, my mouth's watering having heard that. (laughs) Yeah. Then the next one comes from Big JC, James Courtney himself. Do you want to say hello, David? I've not been saying hello to anyone. I I was waiting for you to notice. Oh, I always notice when it comes to James Courtney. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) Hello, James. Do you want to say retrospective hello to Jake? No. Let's move on. (laughs) Yes, hi, Jake. I nearly swore then. (laughs) You're lucky. I know it's Friday night. I'm on on the beers. I've, I've gotten cheeky, apparently. People don't know how wayward you get when you've had a drink. Right, uh, I think you also owe James Swifter hello as well. I do, hello James. Right. So, James Courtney says, I'm probably one of the few fans that liked this episode more than the previous. This was a much more energetic and fun episode. It felt closer to what we have been used to in previous years. The basic idea for the story wouldn't have been out of home before. It also just looks so beautiful. There are some properly gorgeous shots and filming in South Africa really helped that. The moment when the TARDIS finally materialises is utterly brilliant. However, this episode certainly isn't without its flaws. Some of the direction is terrible with some weirdly close close-ups. Whilst the music does have some nice moments, there is still too much ambience for an action-adventure story. There is also the strange moment where the Doctor gives up on ever seeing the TARDIS again, despite knowing it has been materialising on and off for centuries. We also have the new interior of the TARDIS. I suspect this will be a new weekly feature, so I'll start by saying it's an oddly dark and dingy place for an enthusiastic and bubbly Doctor. Again, we have mismatching tones. Graham and Ryan get to have some wonderful moments, but unfortunately this comes at the expense of Yaz. Yeah, a lot, lot of interesting thoughts there. A lot that we can unpack as the episode goes on, I think. Okay. And 
Hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's only ten tweets from BT Flippity Giggard this week, so... It might be the shortest response we've ever had from them. Yeah, it just goes... goes I'm assuming they're not, they're not a big fan, then. They've uh, only got ten tweets worth of things to say about it. Well, the first sentence, David, is, I like this one a lot. I think they'll like it an even more when you say hello, David. Hello. Okay. So, BT Flippity Giggard says, I like this one a lot. It's far from perfect, but I love a good fetch quest. Then again, I'm one of about three people who's willing to defend the keys of Marinus based on the same logic. I love the Doctor being dropped on a planet where she doesn't know much and has to figure things out as she goes along. The idea of the TARDIS reappearing somewhere every so often and becoming this almost religious object is also very cool and very intriguing. I wish we got more details about the race itself. Like, who is this guy? Why did he start organising this deadly event? What made him decide to stop organising the event after the last one? On one hand, I'm disappointed we didn't get more answers, but on the other hand, leaving some things ambiguous makes the universe around Doctor... Sorry, around the Doctor feel very huge and alive. The supporting cast of Angstrom and Epso are both played well, but I have some issues with the writing, to be honest. Angstrom is great, she has a great motivation for running the race, and you get some more information on the Stenza Empire from the season opener. The real problem, in my opinion, is the characterisation of Epso. He's just kind of a dick, which would be fine if the episode didn't then have him try to claim credit for saving them. And only reductively, sorry, only reductantly, reluctantly, sorry, splitting the prize with Angstrom. I feel like the goal was for him to develop into a more, more likable character by the end. But even though Sean Dooley tries his best, the writing really doesn't support that. To be honest, I wanted Angstrom to just kick him in the balls and take the money to help her family get out. Speaking of weird writing fumbles, let's talk about that scene where the Doctor chews out Ryan for using a gun. Okay, we get it. The Doctor has a Batman-level aversion to guns, but they were being actively shot, and the Doctor wasn't actively showing Ryan that she had any better ideas. Yes, the gun doesn't work, but it's a kill-or-be-killed situation. And the Doctor's reaction to Ryan trying to save their lives seems a bit over the top. The final action scene is rather met as well, so digging a three-inch hole prevents you from getting fried by an explosive gas. Not to mention that, we're the villain that can literally see your worst fears. It would have been nice for that to have been to have more bearing on the story than just looking into the Doctor's brain and saying arc-relevant words. Still, despite my complaints, I really like this episode. It's a bit of a change of pace for Doctor Who, and the bond between the Doctor and the TARDIS is at the heart of it. Really wish that the subversion of you redecorated, I really like it, happened for a TARDIS that wasn't one of the most cluttered and cramped looking designs we've seen, though. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, again, lots of interesting thoughts. We're definitely going to talk about the gun scene, I think. Um, that needs addressing. And uh, as others have mentioned, the TARDIS interior, we're obviously going to have to talk about that as well, aren't we, Matt? Um, but... Before we do any of that, Matt, please tell me, what did you think of the Ghost Monument? I, I can't work out if I really, really liked it or really, really didn't like it. <laughs> um, this felt like an episode of Classic Who. 
Yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I can I can I unpack that a bit because I agree with you. And I sort of had a similar reaction uh, the first time I watched it. On rewatches, I have decided I definitely do like it, in part for that reason. I think specifically, it reminds me of a lot of Terry Nation's writing, the creator of the Daleks. Um, BT read, uh, uh, mentioned The Keys of Marinus. I'd also cite uh, The Chase. And I always get them confused. There's... It's not Day of the Daleks. Um, the ones, the what, the one with that. Uh, I can't remember what it is. That's the beer talking. Um, but anyway, Terry Nation's writing sometimes has this sort of very old school and then and then and then quality to it. You know, it's just a sequence of small hurdles to be overcome, and then. If you're lucky, he'll tie it up nicely at the end. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what we get here. You know, it's a very straightforward, linear plot with not a lot of meat on the bones. It Just about enough, I think. I think the pacing is a little bit... You know, a, a little bit flabby at times, maybe. Yeah, it seems a little inconsistent. Yeah. They, they always seem to be rushing, but then have time to stop for a big chat. <laughs> yeah, but um, but overall, I really do like it, and I actually which was which, which person said that that they actually like it more than uh, the woman who fell to earth. Uh, I can't remember. Let's just say it was James Courtney. I think it probably was, um, and I agree. I like it more than the woman who fell to earth. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, overall, I'd say good episode, some bad bits. That's kind of where I, I land on this one. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, like I say, I, I couldn't point out one bit that I really liked, but mm. it was entirely watchable. You Definitely. Know, it wasn't like I was switching in and, you know, zoning out. If nothing else, the location makes it look gorgeous. Yeah, did someone say it was South Africa? Yeah, yeah, I think it was a... I think I remember reading at the time. It's like this sort of abandoned leisure complex or something. Right, okay. So that's what a lot of those structures they're exploring are. Um, it, it, It does lend it a very particular look this episode that I do quite enjoy. But that all being said, shall we, uh, shall we uh, get stuck into it? We shall. So this is the ghost monument from the 14th of October, 2018. Mm -hmm. If you yourself want to go back in time to the 14th of October, 2018, why not listen to our second ever episode where we discuss the end of the world or whatever it's called? Yeah. I, I didn't realise that we were kind of so in, in sync earlier. Uh, uh, literally, the first week we were recording was... Or, or rele- the first week we released was kind of... Um, around the time that this, this series first launched. Mm. I guess it would have been, yeah. Yeah. So this is episode two of season 11, written by... Chris Chibnall himself. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And directed by Mark Tondore. What did you think of his direction? Because it was mentioned in some of the tweets. Overall, did you notice the weird close-ups and stuff? It's just all over the place. <laughs> there are some I... really good shots in it, though. <laughs> yeah, but I've seen every line on Bradley Walsh's face this week. <laughs> it is a very odd... Um... I don't think he's directed anything since. It it, it's, it is a very curious uh, approach he takes with this story. It works sometimes, I think, but fitfully. So, you know, we've discussed the new TARDIS interior. Yeah. What do you make of the new theme tune? Love it. Love the theme tune. Love the title sequence. I'm not going to make any bones about it. My favourite theme tune and title sequence of New Who. Really? Yeah. I, I watched it about three times. Like, mm. do, do I see Jodie Whittaker's eyes? But it's just loads of weird shapes. And I think it was like hypnotising me when I watched it. Because I kept yeah. getting to the end and I was like, I don't know if I saw her eyes or not there. It really feels to me like an attempt to bring more of a classic feel... And, co- and combine it with a modern feel. Like, it, it, it reminds me of a lot of classic Doctor Who title sequences, like 70s, uh-huh. 60s and 70s ones. And um, it's worth noting that uh, the composer, Sega Nakanola, did actually sample parts of the original Delia Derbyshire arrangement uh-huh. of the Doctor Who theme for this. So... Yeah, it's it's maybe pandering to the classic fans a little bit, but I you, I can't lie, I love it. I, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Murray Gold's very bombastic orchestral arrangements. I like this slightly more electronic-y, um, pared-down version of the theme. My favourite's still uh, Doctor Who the movie. What, what a theme song. Yeah. It's just, it's such a difference because it starts with the middle eight and I love that about it. You know, it really interesting choice that. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so it's nice to finally get the proper title sequence, isn't it? Mm. And Wait, also two no, weeks no, for that. Yeah, and no cold open, did you notice? Yeah, good. Just straight in there. Last week was one big long cold open. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. So... We begin in outer space. Mm-hmm. A ship appears, and at first I thought it pulled everyone aboard, but it simply pulls Graham and Ryan. Mm-hmm. And we get a little bit where Graham wakes up Ryan. Yeah. And it turns out that Angstrom pulled them from space. She is the female pilot of this ship. Mm-hmm. And she seems to think they're some sort of bad guy. And tells them they're at the final planet. Yes. And straight away that intrigued me. Because I was like, final planet in terms of space or time? Yeah. Neither it turns out. Mm. <laughs> neither, neither time nor space. <laughs> oh yeah, finally. Neither <laughs> the time nor the space. You know like when TV shows say the name of the show, isn't it? We finally got there. Yeah. Right. So... The Doctor and Yaz are missing. And, you know, obviously Graham's rightly a bit worried about that. Yeah. But their ship is about to land. 
We cut across and see that Doctor and Yaz were scooped up by a different ship piloted by Epso, the male pan- uh, pilot, sorry. Mm-hmm. And they're about to land on the final planet as well, named Desolation. But the planet has moved. Its orbit is out of sync. Yeah. And that obviously explains why they ended up in just floating in space at the end of last week. Yeah. Because, so you know, the, the Doctor had, had sort of pinpointed where the TARDIS should have been. And so that they did materialise there, but unfortunately the entire planet has been shifted out of its normal orbit. Yeah. So they have six minutes to live if they don't jettison the back of the ship. And Exo's mm. like, oh, this ship's famous. Everyone loves it. There's been songs written about it. Um... So we then cut back to Ryan and Graham with their pilot, uh, mm-hmm. Angstrom, and they are down on the planet, uh, moving on away from their ship. Mm-hmm. Still unsure of what's happening. Yeah. And the Doctor takes charge of her ship, You know, begins to yeah. show her heroic side. Yeah, and... I think it's a really good performance from Jodie Whittaker in, the, in this scene. I think this is a scene that first really solidifies her as the Doctor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, we're talking about the director. There, he does like a like a long shot here. It's all handheld, and it, and it kind of stays for quite a long time, sort of switching in real time between the characters, and eventually culminating in the uh, jettisoning of the back of the ship. Um, and on paper, impressive. I don't think it actually aids with the storytelling, to be honest. Mm. Um, I kind of would have preferred maybe. I don't know. It, it doesn't quite work for me. That I just it makes me a bit too aware that it's being directed. If that makes sense. Yeah. So the ship that the do- the doctor takes charge of yeah. crashes onto this planet, and they're reunited with Ryan and Graham. Oh, sorry, I was going to say that one other thing about that scene, and one of the th- ways that it does kind of solidify Jodie Whittaker as a doctor for me, is there's that, that little moment where, when Yaz is coming to, and she says, uh, oh, sorry, Yaz, I forgot you were there. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, which is really interesting. Like, as much as she was just like, ah, oh, you're my new best mates last week, She's her brain's already kind of moved on there for a minute, yeah. and obviously she kind of like brings her back into the fold and gets her like you know holding on to buttons and things and helping with with uh, the plan. But but you know it, that's a very doctory moment. I feel like. Well, I I think if I was being critical of this episode, mm. like my experience with Doctor Who is. The companion is almost the audience substitute, you know, being dragged along on this adventure with this Mm -hmm. heroic character. Whereas here, it's just second fiddle, and the Doctor just pretty much just solves and does everything herself. If, Mm -hmm. If the companions weren't in this episode, it wouldn't have changed anything. Not especially, no. Um, I, 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 I think that's a very valid criticism. Um, now, obviously, Chibnall is trying something new here, 
we've never in the history of New Who had a four-person TARDIS team. Mm. The last time that happened was uh, the Fifth Doctor era, where he travelled mostly with three companions. Um, and prior to that, it was really something that you only saw with the Hartnell era. Mm. Um, and I think there is a definite attempt by Chibnall to almost borrow elements of the Hartnell era for this series. Mm. Uh, and, and one of those definitely is expanding the TARDIS team. Um, the, the thing with that, though, is in Classic Who, you have the advantage of, A, longer stories, and, B, that gives you then the opportunity to pair off the Doctor with one of the companions and pair off two of the other companions to have a sort of related side quest, if you like. Mm-hmm. And they'll meet up at certain points and things. But but it allows people to go off in different directions. Now, what you have with this story is, by its very nature, everybody has to stay together for the entire <laughs> thing. So the end result is there's an, an awful lot of Ryan Graham and or Yaz just sort of standing around. Yeah. Because there's not enough for all three of them to be doing something interesting. Um, especially poor Yaz. I, I feel like Mandip Gill get, gets maybe six lines in the whole episode. Yeah. She's just there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally inconsequential. Yeah. So, yeah, the Doctor's ship crashes. And once they're reunited, the Doctor promises to get them all home. I thought that was quite a good doctory moment. Yes, yeah. So Angstrom and Epso argue, and they appear to have lost the rest of. They hint that there was like a posse, mm-hmm. but we later find out that's not the case. And yeah. Mid conversation, a big alarm sounds. Yeah. And they see a big white tent. Ooh. And then. I don't know how I feel about this, that they all have universal translators. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. I mean, they've literally written that in because someone will have said, well, the TARDIS isn't there. How can they Mm -hmm. understand one another? I feel like Chris Chimnall wrote the entire episode without thinking about it. And then was like, ah, shit, someone's going to point that out, aren't they? What can I do? And they even use the exact same effect as they did last week with the uh, well, DNA bombs. I was going to say, just... it's going to be our new feature. It's going to be person getting injected with thing of the week. Yeah, and like, he tries to make a joke out of it and lampshade it with uh, with Graham saying, can people stop putting things in me with against my will? But it's still, it's such a cop-out, isn't it? Mm. There had to be another way. It's just too convenient. Yeah. Okay, so they go to the big white tent, and inside there's a big hologram man. Yeah. And he seems to be in some sort of position of power over Angstrom and Epso. Mm-hmm. At first I thought he was their boss, but... Yeah, he's, he's like sat in a very opulent chair, lavishly furnished um, tent. It has an almost a kind of um, British imperial... Yeah. Kind of vibe to it. Yeah. 
I really, I really like the design of the tent. And actually, I, I it meant to look the guy's name up. The, the, the guy who plays... I don't even know the name of the character. Is it Ilin? Something like yes. that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I really like his performance. Because he's just an arsehole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because he is, quite clearly, compared to Angstrom, like, physically inferior. Mm-hmm. But because he controls the power, he's just a bit of a tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we find out we are in the last rally of the 12th dimension. Yeah. They're racers, David. Yeah. Just like that weird space Peter Davison race. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit like that, I guess. Okay. Um, so, when they've mentioned the final planet, they're mm-hmm. reaching the finish line of... Have you ever watched the... Is it called The Amazing Race? I've, I've heard of it. I've never watched it. Yeah. It seems a bit like that. Yeah. It, it, I imagine that was potentially an inspiration. Um, I'll be honest. The, the thing, I like the idea of the race. The thing that bothers me with the execution of it is that at no point in the episode does it actually feel like a race. Well, no, because everyone's working together. <laughs> yeah. Until the final five minutes. Yeah, like Epso's talks a big game of like not playing well with others and all of that, but he still just tags along the entire time. Um, and I tell you what would have sold it for me was if now every now and then, a, 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 now and again, we maybe saw like a sort of holographic stadium crowd, like yeah. some sense that people were watching this and invested in it. And plus. Halfway through the episode, we just get some random robot guards. Why can't yeah. they be other competitors in the race? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I really would, would have liked more of a sense of this is an actual race that matters to people because we only really have, we know why it matters to the competitors and we've got ill in there as a means of exposition to convince us that it is, you know, this competition but yeah there's just no real sense that this is something anybody else would care about mm-hmm. um but, but yeah we get a weird bit where they talk about the prize money and you know yeah it's a joke that didn't land for me yeah and we find out the final challenge is to cross this planet they need to reach what's called the ghost monument mm-hmm. which is the finish line yes okay so they are warned by the hologram man about the perils of the planet and the doctor begins asking questions. She keeps saying, well, how am I going to know what this ghost monument looks like? Mm-hmm. And when it's revealed, wouldn't you know, it's the bloody TARDIS. Yeah. So all of a sudden the doctor's really interested in this race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the reason it's a ghost monument is the TARDIS is unstable it's phasing in and out of existence. Uh, they say every thousand cycles, is it? Something like that, yeah. Okay. So the Doctor knows they need to get there. And, David, we see the origins of Get a Shift On. <laughs> now, awkwardly, I'd already opened a beer, so... Yeah. And I've, I've down mine at this point, and I should probably cut myself off. Otherwise, this episode is just going to go seriously downhill. 
Do you think this has been our worst episode ever so far? I think it's up there. <laughs> really? I don't know. Maybe I, I, I can't really judge at the moment. I'm just, I'm just very conscious of the fact that I, I'm very tired and also slightly tipsy at this point. Our worst episode ever is the one where we do the lodger. You reckon? It's our shortest ever episode. It's only 40 minutes. Yeah. And it was back in the days where we used to record two episodes back to back. And I think we pretty much exhausted ourselves on whatever came before. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, that was ringing vague bells. Yeah. So if you want to listen to a really poor episode. We both liked it though, didn't we? I think that was part of the problem. We didn't really have much other to say other than that. It's quite good. Yeah. And it was before we went into lockdown, so it was before we'd come up with such hits as uh, Meal of the Week. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's crack on with this one, shall we? Okay. So, here's a question, David. Yeah. Why is Graham so insistent Ryan calls him Grandad when he isn't Ryan's Grandad? Yeah, it's a... I see what they're going for with it, but at the end of the day, he's not been a part of Ryan's life for a very long time. And being pushy about it isn't going to like help the process, is it? I, I think you're meant... To, that's the thing. You're, I think you're meant to sympathise with Graham in that. But honestly, I sympathise... Yeah, I sympathise more with Ryan, to be honest. Like, Graham's clearly not a bad bloke, but he's like, you know, he's not been married to his grandma that long. Sorry, you're breaking up a bit there, Matt. Yeah. So, so yeah, it just it, yeah, it just comes across as a bit pushy, doesn't it? Yeah. Is it supposed to be that he's obviously lost his wife, and he's mm-hmm. just looking for? Family. For want of a yeah, I think, I think, yeah, he, 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 I think he, he took, took a shine to Ryan really quickly, and felt like when he was marrying, uh, Grace, that Ryan was part of that deal, you know, because obviously Grace had been Ryan's caregiver since his mum passed away, so, um, he kind of. I think he, he he wants to embrace that family and he's not going to let the fact that, that Grace is gone, if anything, it's probably motivating him even more to to want to keep that connection with Ryan. So I, I get all of that. But by the same token, trying to force a, a, a young adult to, you know, consider you a grandparent when you've not been there for most of their childhood... It's a little bit much. So that leads me into my next question, David. Um, do, do you want to call me granddad? <laughs> um, I don't think it's really necessary. Okay. Okay. You, so, you know, ask me, ask me at the end of the series, maybe. Right. There's a reference here I got of classic who. Where the Doctor uses yep. Venusian Aikido. She does indeed. 
Yeah. Because Exo thinks they're all saboteurs sent to ruin their chances. But she uses mm. the Aikido on... Yeah, she uses it on Exo, doesn't she? Yeah, just to get him to shut up for a minute, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Graham and Ryan then do have a little talk about Grace. Mm-hmm. And they deduce that they have a solar-powered boat that's going to help them cross a toxic river. Yeah. Okay. Again, the toxic river feels almost... It's almost a crib from Keys of Marinus, which starts with the TARDIS landing next to a sea made of acid. Yeah. What I'm going to do, I'm just reaching in my drawer. I'm just going to get a highlighter and highlight the last time I have mentioned Yaz in my notes. <laughs> uh, I just thought there, we're talking about everyone else quite a lot. Um, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, right. So, next time we get there, I'll mention Yaz, and I'll tell you how far away they are. Okay? Great. So, Angstrom's home planet sounds pretty rough. But she doesn't want to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> like I thought that was brilliant. Just going, oh, it's terrible. And then everyone goes, oh, what was it like? She's like, don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Why bring it up? And then yeah. this is probably my favourite part of my notes that I wrote. Epso tells a dull story about his mum and everyone is sick of him. Angstrom tells a dull story about her family and everyone loves it. It's literally exactly the same. And they just totally changed their tune. It's not exactly the same, though, is it? Because one is uh, someone talking lovingly about some, you know, an incredibly abusive, manipulative uh, thing from their childhood. Yeah. And, and they're all yeah. like, all oh, right, yeah, whatever, pal, move on. Well, no, they're not. They're like, oh, that was awful. And they're actually very sympathetic. Um but, yeah, I, I think it's worth pointing out Chibnall, obviously, a theme that is starting to emerge is sort of like family trauma. Mm. I don't know much about Chibnall's background and I, I don't know whether that's really even that important, but certainly it is something he, he seems keen to explore in his... Uh, in his episodes so far. Mm. So, from there, uh, Epso begins discussing his magic self-lighting cigar. In what should oh, yes. be a big exposition dump? <laughs> oh, no. No, that's definitely no, not going like... to come into play at any point later. <laughs> no, can't be. Can't be. Um... Then the Doctor begins to wonder where all the life on this planet is as they begin to traverse some ruins. Okay, this mm-hmm. was the leisure park that we discussed earlier. Exo yeah. triggers a laser tripwire which makes robot guards appear. Yeah. The guards open fire. Eventually, I'm going to read this word for word from my notes. Go for it. Eventually, Ryan gets a gun. He loves Call of Duty. And then in big capital letters I've written, is this funny? Question mark. I was thinking the same, and I came to a conclusion, Matt. It is funny that um, 
the oh, why am I all of a sudden blanking on his name? The chap who plays Ryan. That's very annoying. Tozin Cole. Okay. Tozin Cole's performance is very funny. Jodie Whittaker's reaction, pinging off him initially, is very funny. The editing and the score don't make it seem funny. There is too yeah. much space around it, and the music is like serious and dramatic. So it 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 kind of deflates the humour of that moment. Whereas mm. if they just played it for laughs, like if that had come in the season with uh, Tennant and Donna, they would have just played it for laughs. The score would have made cl- made it clear that it was it was meant to be a funny moment. It would have been tightly edited. The, the timing would have been there and you would have laughed at it. So uh, I think it just goes to show that like this series so far hasn't quite found its tone. And the thing is, I know this was 2018. Yeah. Do people still play Call of Duty? I, I haven't just played Call of Duty maybe. for about 10 years. Yeah, I, I, but also Ryan did say I've been training for this all my life, which suggests that maybe he's been playing it for ten years. Do you know what I mean? I think it, I think it was reasonable, and you've got to reference something that people have actually heard of. Based on the computer games you play, David, what would be yeah. the scenario you've trained your whole life for? Um. If you were travelling with a doctor and they were like, oh, we're in this scenario, and you just think, actually, I've got these skills because I've played so many games. Well, in theory, it would be, I guess, leaping from one precarious moving platform to another and maybe squashing some kind of uh, carnivorous plant life. But, I mean, in all honesty, I don't think playing a ton of Mario actually really prepares you for uh, doing any of that. I'm not an athletic man. So, so oh, sadly, it's massively illegal. But I've played so much Pokemon. I think I'd be really good at like underground, like cockfighting. <laughs> I could believe that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> like I don't want to say dogfighting because I really disagree with that. I mean, I totally disagree yeah. with cockfighting as well. But it saddens me less than dogfighting. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that would. Uh, I, I can certainly see that. Yeah. Uh, and, and anyway, um, but right. yeah. So then, 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 then the doctor just gives Ryan a bollocking. Yeah. It's just like, a straight up bollocking. But that's two weeks in a row. She had a go at. Was it Carl last week where she was yeah. like, you've got no right to do that? It's like, this guy literally just tried to murder me. Yeah, and, and, and in this case, okay, one, they're just robots. Two, the Doctor immediately disables them all anyway in basically just a massive bomb. So her point about like, oh, I never use guns, they never help. In this case, I guess she just means like logistically it's not as efficient a method for for taking them all out because mm. the result is the same. It's not like it, 
it doesn't work if we're going for the like oh the doctor doesn't approve of guns because of the violence no no she's just oh like i i i i would be fine with the with the doctor taking a moment to explain why she doesn't approve of using guns it is a character trait yes there are occasions where the doctor has occasionally picked up a gun in a particular circumstance because it's you know they're backed into a corner or whatever but you know ultimately that that's that's her ethos but pick a situation where it actually makes sense to 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 deliver that lecture because it doesn't here no so in fact i'm going to talk about that in a second okay they use an emp to turn off all the robots Turns out Exo yeah. got shot. They find an underground vault with a big locked door. So here's yeah. my next question, David. Yes. Why can't Jodie Whittaker just take the sonic screwdriver out of her pocket and use it? <laughs> Why has it got to be like bloody Legolas pulling his bow? <laughs> and, you know, proper extend the arm. I don't mind it. It's she's having fun. You know, I think it, it you can chalk it up to just being one of the quirks of this particular incarnation. The first time I thought, mm, yeah, make an entrance, you know, lead the scene. But here, mm -hmm. I was just like, just take it out of your pocket. We're in a race, love. <laughs> I feel like she does probably should down call with the that. doctor love. That's like, that's very sexist of me, isn't it? Just like, <laughs> all right, love. I, I I don't know. It's like she, uh, she's from Hull. <laughs> it's like that. It's that vibe, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, have you ever been uh, to Hull? <laughs> I haven't been to Hull. I've probably offended a, a, a listener we have in Hull. <laughs> You can edit that out. You won't. Hold well on. Um, <laughs> you, you totally cut out, so I didn't hear what you said anyway, so... Uh, never mind. Yeah, a lovely surprise for you when you're editing. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I feel like at some point she does settle down with that. But I can't tell you exactly when. So, they eventually find a computer terminal... That the Doctor yep. hacks, it shows them a shortcut, and they want to leave Exo behind. Yeah. As they discover all this... Is that is that when uh, the Doctor like tells him to go and have one of his heroic naps? Yeah, yeah. I, I do like that line. Yeah, that's a pretty that's empowering a scene for Jodie Whittaker, isn't it? Yeah. So, when he does that, uh, the robots begin to pursue them again, and the Doctor... This is where we find out everything that's going on. The Doctor, mm -hmm. there's this huge... They call it a cave painting, but it's like a message inscribed on the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, this planet was effectively used for weapon R&D for the Stenza. Ooh. And that's why it's so awful. Yeah. So how do you feel about the Stenza as potentially being our big bad for this series? 
Um, I hope if they are, they're better than Tim Shaw. Because he was just, at the end of the day, he was just a bit of a loser, wasn't he? <laughs> was kind of. Yeah. You know, he was but, just you know, like, what... he was he was the softest of a very strong race. He had to cheat and everything to kill a man on a train. Yeah, but so... I mean, obviously we get this impression that they've maybe got this kind of big empire and and stuff like that. I mean, I know the universe is a big place, but it seems weird that the Doctor's never heard of this giant warlike empire before. Yeah. It'll take me till next week to work on that, because I don't want that to be the new bad wolf every week. It's just like, oh, have you heard of the uh, Stenza? You know? Mm-hmm. And then we get to episode 12 or whatever, and there's just a man called John Stenza who's an astronaut <laughs> or something. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, this is where I don't really think I was keeping up with what was going on. Because I've written, Exo is killed by a blanket, but he's okay. They come alive at night. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh, he's dead. That's a bit sad. And then all of a sudden, in the next scene, he was there. So I was just like, oh, he's all right, actually. Yeah, no, they, they attempt to kill him. Yeah, he, uh, ma- magic sentient rags. Yeah. Um, is our monster for the week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they come alive at night to clear up the wounded from this mm-hmm. planet. Uh, we had seen some earlier, hadn't we, like laid in the sand, so they're dormant through yeah. the day. Yeah. Whilst all this is happening, the robots have been shutting off the life support and they need to get above ground before they run out of oxygen. So the Doctor encourages Ryan... Whilst climbing a ladder, obviously harking back to last week where we talked about his coordination issues, his dyspraxia. Yeah. And when they get above ground, they're in a... Even as a chemistry teacher, I never know how to pronounce this. Is it acetylene? Or is I it believe so. acetylene? Uh, I think they, 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 they go for acetylene on, on the episode, so we'll go mm. with that. So they're in a field of acetylene, so... Mm-hmm. Natural gas. And we, we, we get a little science lesson. Mm. And again, this is something where I feel like it's almost harkening back to the Hartnell days, where it's trying to be quite overtly educational. Yeah. That's it, because we, we're always told, if, <laughs> if you're in the lab and you're like, oh, that smells nice, it normally means something bad's happening. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, if there's an anthrax attack, did you know anthrax smells of freshly cut grass? I didn't. That's an interesting fact. Yeah. So every time... Not that I have anthrax in my lab, but every time they cut the school field and I'm like, anthrax. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's the old thing, like, methane is a scentless gas, but they put the scent in it so you know whether you've got a gas leak or not. But I think yeah. acetylene is one of the few gases that does have like that recognisable scent of garlic. Mm. Certainly what they what they uh, play into in this episode, that and the fact that it's lighter than air. Yeah. So one of the blankets calls the Doctor an outcast and the timeless child, and the Doctor mm. has a little freak out. I put a little star next to that, because mm-hmm. the doctor's reaction 
is like, oh, and I worried that's going to be like, let me give you an example. You know when they always started just name dropping trends a lot, and it was a little yeah. bit more obvious than the the bad wolf scenario. Yeah, like uh, I've just put that's one of the things I'm going to be mindful of that and the stenza. Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to say you must have heard, like, within you know, on your Twitter timeline and stuff, "timeless child" is probably a phrase that has popped up on occasion. Well, yeah, but I, uh, as I'm, far as I'm that... not suggesting you know you know what it means, you you have no. the context for it, but I I assume it's like you know when the doctor was always called like the oncoming storm. Hmm. Because the Doctor is a timeless child. I mean, we've so, never seen them as a child. We've always seen them as an no. adult. But I mean, I think one of the very popular theories what? after this episode was obviously... I mean, can you even guess what what the fandom was speculating about off the back of the timeless child? I mean, obviously, when, when the, this episode first aired, the fandom were, of course, immediately speculating that it was Susan. Yeah, get Big Sue's back. <laughs> that, that's what I want. Yeah. Right. So that's something we're going to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Right. Because acetylene is lighter than air, they dig a little hole where they're standing. Mm-hmm. So, so they can get nice and low and use the magic cigar to burn all the acetylene. And doing so burns all the blankets too. Now, you see, I didn't quite read it that way. I thought the reason they were digging was to kind of release more of the gas. Ah, see, I thought they were doing it so they could get lower, so they were beneath the gas. I mean, possibly, but if it is that, then that's... Like, you'd have to dig a little more than just making a tiny little hole with your feet. Like yeah, but then they the like kind of area. But then don't they lie down so they're beneath yeah. like ground level anyway? Either way, it's absolute farce and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I wanted to check that with you. Like, it, it, does it hold any water from a science point of view or not? Uh, no, I would need to watch that again and try and work out what exactly it is they're trying to achieve. But in a word, David, no. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's not the worst science misdemeanour this this show has committed over the years. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, it's about a man who turned into a woman who has two hearts and travels through time and space. So never forget that when we're critiquing the science. Yeah. In in, in a magic box. Right. (laughs) So, a bit... Oh, yeah, yeah. And don't forget that their arch enemy is a big slimy brain in a tin can. Um, <laughs> so, they arrive at the finish, and the TARDIS isn't there. Oh, no. Exo and Angstrom argue, but eventually decide to share the victory until mm-hmm. the hologram declares the race null and void and says yeah. there is simply no winner. Exo threatens him, and eventually he accepts the dual winner. And when they say, right, take us home, them two, he just says no. And they all disappear, I, leaving the Doctor yeah. and friends on this planet alone. 
I love his delivery of that no. Just the sort of little snort of derision as he does it. Yeah, just goes, nope, and then he's gone before they can even argue. So I did want to ask you, because I thought it was interesting what um, BT Flippity Giga was uh, saying with regards to Epso's story arc. Like he felt that maybe there should have been some kind of redemption, some kind of learning, some growth for Epso. But instead, he's just he's just a dickhead the whole way through. How did you mm. feel about that? Uh, I don't know. Like, not everyone can have a redemption arc, can they? Yeah. I, my, my kind of feeling is, I kind of like that, he's, that he doesn't grow or learn or anything. Because, like, some people are just dickheads. Yeah. And, and going through a trial like that isn't going to do anything to dent their their sense of self-importance. Yeah. That's it. Like, if you've won that much money, do you really need to learn a lesson at the end of the day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, his but... methods, for better or worse, have achieved his goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's perfectly happy with the outcome. But anyway, yeah, so then we get our little coda to this episode. This is where we get the weird bit where the Doctor loses all faith, but immediately <laughs> finds it moments later. Yeah, it's a bit unnecessary, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's just like, oh God, we can't get home, i failed you. And then when they all go, oh, it's alright, come on, we'll be fine. She just goes, yeah, do you know what, we probably will be, come on. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the TARDIS does finally appear. Mm-hmm. And they enter. Yeah. And I was waiting for it, but we didn't get it. Nobody says it's bigger on the inside. No. I mean, to be fair, Moffat did every conceivable gag anyone could ever do uh, around that concept. So... I guess it's kind of refreshing for them to just kind of be in non-specific awe. See, what I'd have done, and again, this is me, fantasy writing, is mm -hmm. everybody's like, oh, how are we going to fit in there? How are we going to fit in there? I'd have had a close-up of the Doctor saying, it's bigger on the inside, and that's where I'd end the episode, with the Doctor saying it. Ah, uh, yeah, that could work. Rather than the companions always say it, they ask the questions, the Doctor says it's bigger on the inside, cut to black. Yeah, that would have been nice. But they do enter, and we see yes. the new interior. Or maybe they don't, because it's so dark, I couldn't see what was going on. <laughs> it's so dingy, isn't it? Would you rather stay on a flesh-eating planet or go sit in there? I mean, I'd probably go and sit in the TARDIS because at least I'm protected from the elements, but I wouldn't feel very comfy. Um, yeah. There doesn't seem to be anywhere to sit. Um, it just... Yeah. yeah it, 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 it looks like some sort of city centre public toilet. You're going to end up with diphtheria hanging out in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I look... Look, I don't want to brag on it too much. It's not actually my least favourite TARDIS interior of New Who. Um, I still like it slightly more than the the RTD era coral thing. 
which I think is just mm. a bit cheap and, and ugly looking. Um, and I quite like some of the details on the console of this interior. I hate the big crystals. Do, do we just need to say that's your dog in the background, not, not yes. you? Yeah, no, that, yeah. That, that's, that's my dog having a good old snooze. Um, yeah, the, the, the crystals looming over the console and then another big, ugly, and they're obviously plastic. Really, like, obviously gross plastic crystal-shaped thing instead of a proper time rotor. That, that to me, is mm. not a good time rotor at all. Um no. Yeah, and the lighting is atrocious in it. I what I do, I, what I will say, I, I do quite like the 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 like little entrance hallway with the with the three walls of the 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 uh, police box. Yes, that's an yeah. interesting thing. Um, but yeah, overall, not a fan. Not a fan of this one. And <sighs> and coming off the back of Michael Pickwood's gorgeous. Late Smith and and Capaldi era, Tardis, which is just, you know, sublime. Uh, and the other thing I will mention because I think it is worth keeping an eye out for whenever they do Tardis interior scenes in this series and 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 next, it is apparently an absolute nightmare to film in. Oh, I can only like, imagine there's stuff everywhere. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. In my head, before this series started, my expectation for a TARDIS interior was that it would, it would maybe be a bit cosier. Like mm. I, I could have imagined Jodie Whittaker's Doctor like having, having some like old battered armchairs, and uh, and things like that. Bring back the hat stand, that kind of thing. But instead, we get this sort of like industrial meets. Oh, I don't know. I don't what what, what I don't like, know what the crystals what, are there for. I I must say I did like the pattern on the wall, but it was so dark you can barely see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's it it doesn't quite and it's a shame because it deflates this scene. I think it doesn't quite give you the desired effect of what was written on the page of this just beautiful, like, <gasps> moment that it should have been. It, it, it instead gives... Yeah, it, it kind of feels at odds with the script, if you like. Um, but hey-ho, we'll all have to get used to it, won't we? The other thing that kind of yeah. was a bit of a downer for me the first time I watched this was when... When you when Jodie Whittaker's Doctor is first introduced and the TARDIS seems to be sort of self-destructing and then dematerializes and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. She's been split off from her TARDIS. In my head, I was thinking maybe Series Eleven was going to be either an attempt to do a modern take on the Pertwee era, the Doctor stranded on Earth. Yeah, maybe, I'd have in for that. Yeah, or maybe the Doctor. She is managing to get off off world and and journey, but she's just trying to track down the TARDIS. And we have a whole series of adventures with her slowly trying to reclaim her TARDIS. Mm -hmm. But instead, that as a storyline is 
done and dusted in the space of two episodes and feels a bit underwhelming as a result. Like, why go to the effort of setting up the Doctor being stranded from her TARDIS if by the end of episode two she's got a TARDIS back and it's all fine? Yeah, I do totally agree with that. Um, But hey-ho, like I say, overall, I do actually enjoy this episode. Yeah, like like I say, I, I I didn't switch off. I didn't make a cup of tea halfway through. I watched it all, but I just don't know. I I haven't made my mind up about it yet. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, uh, how are you finding uh, two episodes in? Are are you? easing into this series it, it is a very different tone isn't it yeah i think i need to at least get halfway through the series before i start making judgments because these could yeah. be the best two episodes of the series or the worst and i just need a more holistic view i'd say yeah that's fair that's totally fair you know i no, think I've, um... i think i've been guilty of making early judgments and then you know i didn't like capaldi at first by the end, I was no. good to see him go. <laughs> yeah, and uh, to be clear, I mean, I I'm not I, I can't make judgments about uh, the Whitaker Chibnall era as a whole because I'm still only halfway through it. We've got another series and a whole load of specials next year, so you know, there's still a lot more to look forward to, and 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 uh, it's it's too early to kind of say definitively what this era is like. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot, a lot of interesting stuff ahead of us. So do join us, listeners, next week when we will be discussing Rosa. So my mind immediately goes to obviously Rosa Parks, but it could be, you know, it could be a play on Rose. Who knows? It could. It could. Um, um, well, you'll have to you'll have to watch it uh, and uh, we'll find out together next week eh? Yeah. but until then with my dog furiously digging in his bed in the background <laughs> thank you as always for listening dear listeners and until next time cheerio bye now Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.